Hey, I'm Noelle, and this is the X-Men Unraveled podcast. I follow the X-Men comics chronologically, and the past few episodes I've been following the life of Wolverine, including his run-ins with familiar villains like Mr. Sinister and Sabretooth. This week I'm covering stories from locations in both North America and Europe from the 1910s and early 1920s. Logan's life is never given in full, so it means piecing it together mostly from flashbacks in lots of different comic series. I will also get to how Wolverine met the mutant Mystique, a popular but troublesome villain to the X-Men. I also included a little bit of history into this episode. I don't think I've mentioned it, but I do have a history degree, so I hope you enjoy that extra bit of information and don't hate me for diving into that a little more than is probably normal for someone talking about comics. I love history, so any chance I get, I'm probably going to talk about it. Sorry. <laughs> Before we get back into Logan's life, though, I wanted to take some time and backtrack a little bit. Last episode, I mentioned that I wanted more of Silver Fox's story, and there is an issue of Marvel Voices about indigenous heroes, and it tells a story of Silver Fox's life before she met Wolverine. It's a quick story, but I just wanted to include it because I'm kind of obsessed with Silver Fox, to be honest. I don't know. I just think she's super cool, and I want to know more about her. Her appearance in most comics is very Pocahontas-esque, like the Disney version. So, not super historically accurate. She's usually wearing some stereotypical outfit you'd probably find in, like, a Halloween store. Um, don't buy those, by the way. But in Marvel's Voices, Indigenous Voices from 2020, she is dressed much more appropriately for a woman living in a region that stretches from Alberta to Saskatchewan and south into Montana. Silver Fox is a member of the Blackfoot Confederacy, which is a group of Native American peoples whose languages were related, as well as some other groups who joined the Confederacy but didn't share that linguistic heritage. They were nomadic bison hunters who followed the migrating herds. Of course, as European colonists moved west, they came into contact and conflict with the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Europeans came to the region to hunt and trap of course, bringing smallpox with them. It's hard to gauge when exactly this story about Silver Fox takes place. She doesn't meet Logan until the early 1900s, and at that point she still looks very young because she has mutant healing powers that also extend her life, much like Wolverine. But one piece of this story makes me think it takes place in the late 1800s, if not the early 1900s, but there's no specific time given. We learned from Logan's memories last episode that when he met Silver Fox, she had been widowed. And in Indigenous Voices, we meet her husband, who is named Trigo. At the start of the story, the couple have attacked a group of trappers with a cargo of furs. Silver Fox and Trigo then hide themselves in the furs so that when another group of trappers comes along and takes the furs, they can Trojan horse their way into the European fort. Trigo, it turns out, is also a mutant, and he has precognitive abilities, so when he touches an object or another living creature, he gets a glimpse of the future related to whatever it is that he's touching. Honestly, it seems like a pretty mentally traumatic power to have, 
He doesn't really seem to have any control over it, so pretty much anything can reveal devastating events to him. But Silverfox and Trigo are undertaking this plan because they want to destroy enough of the fort's supplies that the harsh winter conditions will kill off the colonists as they won't have supplies or reinforcements to help them out. And it'll just look like an accident or the result of incompetence, so other Europeans won't have a reason to retaliate against the Blackfoot people. Pretty good plan. So once inside the fort, Silver Fox and Trigo cut holes in bags of flour, destroy a weapons cache, and burn blankets. Trigo touches something and sees that the damage they've done is enough to leave the colonists to starve over the winter, and eventually they will murder each other and resort to cannibalism. So mission accomplished for the couple. But an old woman spots them as they're trying to leave. Silver Fox tries to stop her from calling out, but the woman keeps trying to yell, so Silver Fox kills her so that they can escape. The woman drops a small bundle of blankets, and inside, Silver Fox finds a little puppy. Um, really cute. They really drew it adorably. Um, and Trigo sees that if they leave the pup behind, the colonists will eventually kill it for food as well. So Silver Fox decides to keep it and says that she won't let them hurt him too. She's doing something and she hands the pup to Trigo and he sees flashes of the dog's life with Silver Fox, but not with Trigo. He sees her future with Wolverine. They are living together happily with the dog, but when he's older, he becomes infected with rabies and they have to kill him. This is actually a story that comes from Wolverine number 47 in 1988. I actually thought about including it in the last episode, but it was, like, too sad for me, so I didn't. Um, but now I have to cover it, because it's here. <laughs> and so also Trigo sees, and he also sees Silver Fox's death, and finds out that if the dog, who she names Blue, hadn't been infected with rabies, he could have been there to help save Silver Fox from Sabretooth. But Trigo keeps all of this to himself, not wanting to hurt Silver Fox, and the couple leaves the fort. It says a lot about him that he's able to see this whole event play out when he gets that glimpse of the future, and not tell her and not kind of hold against her what he sees in her future, because he doesn't know what's going to happen to him or why she would be with Wolverine. Um, so, seems like he's a, a really great guy, and he has a very uh, burdensome power that he has to deal with. How Trigo dies, or how many years the couple have together, aren't given in the comic, um, but eventually we know that he does die, and Silver Fox meets Wolverine, um, bringing Blue to live with them in the cabin that they built. I didn't find this story before the last episode, um, so I just wanted to make sure I included it. I was really excited to find it and get a little bit more of Silver Fox's backstory, um, because I think she deserves to be a fleshed-out character rather than just one of Wolverine's many, many tragedies. There's also um, several other stories in the Indigenous Voices issue about other Native American mutants and heroes, so I'm sure I will be going back to it um, as I get to comics about those characters as well. With that, though, let's get back to Wolverine's life. Once again, after a major tragedy in his life, Logan is directionless. Where he goes immediately after Silver Fox's death is unknown, 
He does spend some time working for the Hudson's Bay Company. This was an English corporation that did actually exist, dating back to the 1670s and dealing mainly in the fur trade in North America. The company expanded west across the continent, eventually reaching all the way to Oregon and Washington. Um, obviously, this puts them in direct conflict with the Native Americans already living in those areas. Um, but in Wolverine Origin number 33, Logan reveals that he worked for the company, quote, protecting their interests from the locals, which to me sounds like he's protecting it from Native Americans in the area, which seems like a weird turn. Um, from his life with Silver Fox. But whatever happened, he's working for the company um, for some time in the area. After that, Logan gets recruited into the Canadian military under the command of a man named Silas Burr. And the details of this story come from Wolverine Origins number 12, 15, and 17. It kind of jumps around and I pieced it together from all of them. So that's where this information comes from. Silas Burr is a mutant with superhuman strength and durability. He also has psionic powers that allow him to track people based on brain patterns. Later, he's known as the mutant Cyber. He also seems like he's able to use this ability to affect the behavior of others, and his superiors noted that he was able to push soldiers past their moral and emotional limits. The military is also aware that Logan has unique abilities and they want Burr to train him to be as effective of a soldier as possible because that's what everybody wants Logan to be at some point. So Logan trains under Burr, but he also meets a woman named Janet who works for the military. He is romantically interested in Janet, but Silas Burr saw this as a threat to his commitment to his training in the military. Burr says that Logan was becoming too human. He wants Logan to give in to that vicious animal part of his nature, and any feelings for Janet threaten that. To keep Logan under his control, Burr kills Janet. Of course, this sets Logan off, and the two of them fight. Burr actually rips out one of Logan's eyes, um, and Logan ends up running off into the wilderness, which is his usual response to traumatic events. Once he's out there, his mind tries to heal from the trauma, which causes him to forget Janet and her death. And soon he's found by Burr and Sabretooth, who also appears out of nowhere and apparently has come to work with Burr as well. They bring Logan back to the training facility, and he continues his training until the army is deployed in World War I and he's sent to the front. He also doesn't seem to remember Sabretooth, which again would be because Sabretooth was part of the traumatic death of Silver Fox, and so that all gets kind of wiped from Logan's memory because his healing powers try to heal his mind, which just causes amnesia. So Canada joined World War I when Britain declared war in 1914 after the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand of Austria by Serbian nationalists. This set off a whole chain of events that caused countries across Europe to declare war on each other, and also brought in other countries like Canada, Japan, and eventually the United States. We get a glimpse of Logan's war life in the series Wolverine and Savage Wolverine. In Wolverine numbers 57 to 60, Logan is fighting in Belgium in 1915, and we see a very mystical element to his life. 
So Logan ends up caught in a gas attack, but he survives, and he's able to push forward to the German lines and continues to fight. Um, for some reason, he straps bayonet blades to his hands um, to attack the opposing soldiers. I think this is because there was some time where writers planned for him not to have started out with retractable claws and instead gained them when he had adamantium fused to his skeleton. But from his origin story a few episodes back, we know he had them as soon as his powers emerged. So since we know that, it's a little weird to see the bayonet blade strapped because it's like, hey, you have claws, dude. <laughs> but either way, he defeats all of the Germans that he's confronted with, but then he's approached by a man dressed in a red cloak and holding a sword. He's very much out of place on a World War I battlefield full of dead soldiers and mud and gas and all of those things. And of course, he's not there to just have a friendly chat with Logan. He approaches him menacingly and doesn't say anything at all to Logan. The two of them fight, um, and it's a struggle, but Logan is actually able to beat him. He takes the sword and stabs the man with it. It's a really strange event, and Logan only comes to understand it many decades later. I'm not going to get into the details of that, because that would be its own very long story. Um, but he has an encounter with Doctor Strange, who tells him that the man was called Lazare, but that is an anagram for the name Azrael. Azrael is the angel of death in Islam and Judaism. And so it turns out that because Logan was able to defeat Azrael in battle, each time he gets a fatal wound, his soul battles against Azrael, and if he wins, he continues to live. So, that's the strange backstory of who the man in the red cloak is. But back in World War I, after his fight with Azrael, Logan begins having mental troubles. He's always found war really easy. He doesn't have, like, PTSD or any of those things that you would expect someone who spends years and years in war. Um, it just really doesn't affect him mentally. But after the battle with Azrael, he becomes really depressive. He starts drinking more um, and eventually contemplates killing himself and goes through this for a while. And it ends up being Azrael is the one who sets him free of this whole thing. He appears to Logan again and tells him that he has been suffering for defeating the angel of death and defying the natural order. But Azrael thinks that Logan has gone through enough punishment and releases Logan from his depressive state. Overall, it's a really odd story. Um, I don't know if these Azrael battles come up anywhere else. Um, and considering Logan gets mortally wounded quite often, um, that would be a lot of times he has to fight the Angel of Death. So, I don't know. It's an interesting story. Um, I had to include it because that's his experience at the beginning of World War I. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure really where that fits into the whole overall timeline or life of Wolverine. The next time we see Logan in World War I is in France in 1918, and that occurs in Savage Wolverine numbers 21 and 22. Logan has been having dreams about the end of the war and sharing a drink with this very specific man in Paris, but the war is still well underway and he is in the Canadian army camp. He's assigned to a unit with another mutant soldier named Lieutenant Bellamy. He is a telepath, which obviously comes in handy planning attacks or in espionage, but Bellamy isn't physically able to fight in the war. It doesn't say exactly what his disability is, 
but he walks with a cane, has a neck brace on. He's significantly shorter than any of the other men, but obviously his powers are impressive enough that the army needs him. And he and Logan are very aware of each other's mutant abilities, and they seem to have developed a friendship uh, during their time in the war. One night, their unit is sent on a mission to take out a bridge that will cut off German supply lines. Bellamy reads the minds of the Germans, noting their locations and the location of explosives they can use on the bridge. Logan is sent in alone at first to take out the soldiers who are standing watch across the river. But when he gets to the German camp, he comes across the man he keeps dreaming about seeing in Paris. He's a German soldier, and he's trying to radio for German reinforcements. And Logan is, like, in this struggle against his experience in the dream and feeling like he knows this man, and seeing him as an enemy in real life and someone who's threatening both himself and all of his uh, comrades. So Logan is forced to kill the man, um, but he plays some of his favorite music on the record player in his tent out of respect. Logan realizes that the whole confused event is from Bellamy reading his mind throughout their time together. At first he's pissed, but he ends up feeling like he understands Bellamy's intrusion into other people's minds. They're both mutants, and that adds, you know, extra struggles and isolation to their lives. Especially, you know a soldier who can't really um, connect with the other men in the war because of his disability. So Logan forgives him and, and actually doesn't even really confront him about it. The war does end later that year in 1918, and Logan goes to Paris for the celebrations. He had already been in France, so it makes sense that he would go there. He buys a bottle to drink in the same place that he dreamed about, um, sharing a drink with the German um, of course, he is now dead and can't share the drink. It seems like a really fitting story for Logan, who has seen four years of war and death at that point. Um, one of his lines is, we're not celebrating. And you can kind of see how someone who's been through that much war um, and death and, you know, losing people probably just doesn't feel much like celebrating at the end of all of it. So that's the end of the war, and Logan is in Paris. But next, we're going to find him in a very different location, so I will get to that story in just a second. The last story about Logan's life that I'm going to cover today takes place across the Atlantic from Paris, and it comes from Wolverine numbers 62 to 65. We don't know what Logan does for the three years after World War I, but in 1921, he is arrested and set to be executed in Mexico for being a horse thief. He is tied up um, and set in front of a firing squad when his fellow prisoner, um, also set to be executed, starts talking to him. He's blindfolded and can't see her, um, but he is standing next to a woman who becomes a prominent villain of the X-Men named Raven Darkholm, known more commonly by the codename Mystique. Mystique has blue skin, red hair, and glowing yellow eyes, and she is a shapeshifter and can alter her appearance and voice to match any other person on the planet. Makes her a very tricky villain for the X-Men later on. She was created by artist David Cockrum and first appeared not in the X-Men, but in the series Miss Marvel in 1978. 
She's also a major character in the X-Men movies, appearing in the original movie way back in 2000, played by Rebecca Romaine, and then by Jennifer Lawrence as the younger version of Mystique. The older movies definitely are more similar to her comic book persona. It's much sweeter and nicer um, in the movies where Jennifer Lawrence is playing her. Personally, I like the mean Mystique. <laughs> Mystique's early life um, is still really a mystery because not much has been revealed in the comics and not in any real detail. She is at least as old as Wolverine, but she could very easily be older. She's one of those mutants who just doesn't appear to age. Whether that's her power or her shape-shifting, it's kind of hard to say, but I would think it's just a power of hers because obviously she has a very long life, so it kind of makes sense that she wouldn't look old if she's not really aging. In X-Men number 174 from 2004, Mystique reveals that her powers emerged when she was 13 years old. When and where she was born are unknown, although I did read it's possible she was born in Austria. That's not official. She also mentions in that issue that she had to start fighting for her life at the age of 13, so I would imagine whoever her family was probably cast her out once her powers emerged. It's not specified, but if her powers emerged at 13, it's possible that her appearance um, drastically changed as well. She could have been, um, you know, a non-blue-skinned child. And this would explain why she was suddenly out on her own, because her family uh, rejected her and forced her to fend for herself once she stood out so dramatically. Also, if that's in the 1800s or early 1900s, um, yeah, I can't say she'd be super accepted. But that's all speculation, aside from what Mystique said explicitly, which honestly isn't a super valid source anyway. She's not known to be the most truthful individual. So really, we know very little about Mystique's early life. The first real details we have about her come from Extreme X-Men number 1 from 2001. And these are not given by Mystique, so we can probably trust them a little bit more. So in the early 1800s or early 1900s, Mystique joined forces with a woman named Irene Adler. Adler was another mutant with the power of precognition. She could tell the future. She was born in Austria sometime in the 1800s, but again, we don't have a specific here. Can't nail anything down on this. But her power emerged when she was 12, and it was really challenging and confusing. Like, all of a sudden you can see the future and you're 12 years old, and not all of it is like her own future. A lot of it is just events that happen in the world. So at some point, to kind of try and cope with all of this, she decides to write down all of her predictions, and she fills up 13 different volumes. It kind of reminds me of... um Agnes Nutter from Good Omens, <laughs> because it ends up being hard to piece these things together. But after she writes it all down, um, for some reason, I don't know, real life doesn't work this way, but <laughs> her ability to see the future costs her her physical sight, and she goes blind. You know, real life is not so simple, but this is a comic. But after writing the predictions, Adler decides that she needs to try and bring about the best possible scenarios from her visions. And to help with this, she joins forces with a woman named Raven Darkholm, Mystique, who is working as a consulting detective. If you're a Sherlock Holmes fan like me, um, this is probably sounding a little bit familiar. 
because Irene Adler is the name of a character from the Sherlock Holmes books, and Sherlock Holmes worked as a consulting detective for the London police. I just thought that was kind of funny that they put that all in there. Anyway, Adler and Mystique work together for years, um, but they have a hard time bringing about any real change. However, the two of them start a relationship, and they actually stay together on and off for decades. Irene Adler becomes known as the Mutant Destiny, and her diaries become important to the X-Men later on as they're trying to kind of do the same thing Irene and Mystique were, which is stop bad events and bring about good events. I wish there was more of Mystique's life um, prior to meeting Wolverine that I could get into, because I would love to do an entire episode on her early life, um, but that is all I could find so far. But hopefully in future comics we can get some more details, and there's definitely going to be more Mystique down the road. She crosses paths with the X-Men quite a bit. So, back to the story. Mystique is set to be executed in Mexico alongside Wolverine. Her crime is just being a mutant shapeshifter with blue skin, and she tells Logan that they think she's a witch. Fortunately for her, Logan's claws allow him to escape from the stake he's tied to and take out the firing squad but not before they start shooting. Luckily, Mystique has already untied herself and able to get out of the way of the gunshots, and she thanks Logan. He, of course, because it's him, isn't really interested in chatting, but Mystique follows along and offers to buy him a drink. Logan never turns down alcohol, so they head off together. Mystique asks him if he's ever been to Kansas City, because she has some friends there, and Logan must not have anything better to do so they head off to the exotic land of Kansas City together. It turns out by friends, Mystique meant that she has a gang of criminals there who swindle the local population. They've got a pickpocket, one guy has six fingers, which helps him cheat at gambling, and they just pretty much do whatever they can to steal cash from the locals. Mystique wants Wolverine to work as their muscle and fight off anyone that might cause them trouble. Wolverine decides to stay, and he and Mystique start sleeping together, but at some point he tells her that he knows she must have something bigger planned than her small-time operation. He is correct, and her big plan is to rob the city's Federal Reserve Bank. She tells Logan plans of taking the money, getting away, and starting a new life together. If you are aware of Mystique from the movies or previous comics, that doesn't sound very much like her. (laughs) Spoiler alert. So Mystique plans out the robbery and gets access to the bank by shapeshifting into the bank's president. Her gang then can come in, guns drawn, holds the employees and bank patrons hostage. She sends one of her gang members to get into the vault, and Logan waits outside with another with the getaway car. When the gang member at the vault gets the door open, though, cops are waiting inside. The cops shoot him, take out all the other gang members as well. By this time, Mystique has disappeared, and Logan runs into the bank. The cops don't attack Logan, though. It turns out that he sold out the gang to the police, and they pay him with some of the money the gang would have gotten away with. They literally rip it out of one of their dead hands. But Logan is mad that they didn't catch Mystique, because it seems like that was his original goal. And it turns out that he found out Mystique was lying to the gang that she was paying off the cops, Uh, So he decided to do it first. Not a great look for Logan, honestly, in this one. After leaving the bank, Logan jumps on a train to get out of town, but Mystique is already there waiting for him. 
Surprisingly, she doesn't actually hold it against him, and she just says, you know, you made a good play, and they should let bygones be bygones. But these two do not head out into the sunset together. When he turns his back on her, Mystique kicks him out of the open train car door and into the snow. And that is where I'm going to leave Logan today, out in the 1920s Kansas City snow. I had a lot of fun reading these series for today, um, especially the last one about Mystique. She is one of my absolute favorite X-Men villains, so I loved finding anything I could about her early life. I like her because she isn't, like, a conflicted villain. She does her thing, she doesn't really care about being good, and that makes her such a fun character. And from this story, we know that her conflict with Wolverine actually predates her antagonism of the X-Men team, but we'll definitely get back to her later on. She has very close ties to a lot of other X-Men and also other villains, so expect Mystique to pop back up in the not-too-distant future. So Wolverine spends World War I fighting for Canada and then somehow makes his way to Mexico after the war. Then he has his misadventure with Mystique in Kansas City. I'll pick up where he's off to next in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening. As always, if you are enjoying the show, please leave me a review. Um, that helps it just reach more people um, and get more downloads. So I would greatly appreciate that. And of course, you can also check out the podcast Instagram where I post comic pictures and some other fun stuff. So you can find that at X-Men Unraveled. Until next time, don't follow any beautiful blue women to Kansas. Bye. Bye.